Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and welcome to this week's second episode. Aren't you lucky? My guest is Christine Kofsky, an actor and photographer who co-stars in Mark Sauer's alternate reality satire, No Men Beyond This Point, which opens in Toronto tomorrow, Saturday, April 23rd, at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. You may also have seen Christine in the 2012 feature In No Particular Order, which she also wrote and directed. Christine picked Rachel Getting Married, Jonathan Demme's 2008 family drama centered on Kim, a troubled young woman who gets a day pass from rehab to attend her sister Rachel's wedding. Even before she gets there, Kim is making bad choices. Once she actually arrives, she's making worse ones. Anne Hathaway is Kim, and Rosemary DeWitt is Rachel, and their remarkable sister act forms the unstable center of a movie that also finds room for Mather Zickel, Bill Irwin, Anna Devere Smith, Tunde Adebimpe, Deborah Winger, and a whole world of emotional complexity. It's a terrific film, and if you haven't seen it, we'll wait. This is someone else's movie. It was funny when I, when Pam was like, you want to do this podcast? And it made me so nervous, first of all, because I don't consider myself a cinephile or, you know, like I'm not, I don't have, I always feel like the odd one out in, at all the film festival parties when everyone's like going back and forth about there. But this movie for me was like, um, I watched it and I was like, this is, films for me, like when I watch a film and it makes me want to make films, that's when I know I've been moved by it or there's something about it that yeah. I came out of this one and I was like, I want. I just want to make movies like that forever, like just like that. You yeah, know? it's funny when when so many times when people have picked a film, um, it's been like a total. Oh wow, really? Yeah. And then for uh, for an actor to pick this, which is simultaneously exhilarating and terrifying, because I mean, I I watched it and thought that has got to be. I mean, the first time I saw it in in two thousand eight, it yeah. was like that has got to be a simultaneously joyful set and miserable personal space right. for the actors because yeah. they are performing the the collision right of 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 profound joy and misery and and all the other stuff and totally. it sounds just trying to describe it to people sounds awful because yeah, yeah. oh well you know it's a cacophony of a, and there's like you know the music is all over the place and it's yeah and yeah. like you said everyone's just like clashing all the time and yeah. you, totally you come out of it with the sense of um, exhausted happiness, which is what you feel like when you've attended a wedding, generally, yeah. like if it's gone well. Yes, um, totally. But so when did yeah when did you see it? What was your first? Exposure? I saw it. I think I saw it at TIFF. Actually, I was trying to remember um, going back, and I and I I feel like I saw it because I was here for for a film when it came out. It was oh eight that it played yeah. in TIFF, right? Yeah. Um, and it's funny when I watch films at TIFF, I always have to rewatch them yeah. soon after because I'm so, my judgment is so clouded <laughs> when I'm in a, in a theater with, you know, TIFF audiences are so generous and so amazing. And you go in wanting to just have the best time sure. watching every film. And I think I've only ever actually walked, walked out of one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never walked out of a film that I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> and then, so That's I had to go back and rewatch it to make sure that I still had that same reaction. Cause I had such a like visceral, like, oh, same sort of thing like I'm happy and exhausted and I want to cry and I want to like lock myself in a room and listen to music and I want to (laughs) like I just was like I had so many things going on when I walked out of the film yeah it's like it's rare that and even Demi doesn't do it every time no when you can get that sense of like it's a constant catharsis is the only way I can describe it it. it's just it's such a 
a wrenching, busy movie. Yeah. And I was going over some of the reviews again just because I was really curious. I, I remember that people either loved it or were weirdly indifferent. Like, there were a few people who yeah. thought it was just too busy. Yeah. And it's, like, that's not something I would say about it. The busyness is sort of kind of necessary to it. And that's it. what it's, I loved about it. Yeah. It was like, and I, same thing, I watched an interview with, with Jonathan Demme, and he, he said, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to make a film that I wanted to, I didn't care what people thought. And you can tell when you're watching the yeah. film that they did not care what the, about their audience. They were like... <clears throat> doesn't matter we're just gonna make it the way we want to make it the speeches go on too long but it's just like a mess yeah the whole yeah. thing is a mess and that's why i was like oh my god you can make movies like this and the you know it's just it was just such a, a profound realization for me when i was like yeah <laughs> yeah it, it is i mean it's it's the kind of movie that is so full of like everything is a showcase. Everyone gets a moment. Every character gets dignity and and mm-hmm. or, or the lack thereof, and that's part mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and it's a it's a story. It's a narrative structure that we've seen dozens of times, if not hundreds so many of times. times. Yeah. Um, somebody tried to do an entire television series out of it with Worst Week, and then yeah. that worked in the UK, but not in America. <laughs> it's just this weird sense of possibilities and potential. But you're also dealing with someone who. I, I think not to you know not to undersell it hates herself and doesn't want to be there mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of a corrective in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to other wedding movies because they're either so busy being comical uh, or or exaggerated yeah. on some level yeah. that to be hit with a realistic handheld you know you are there kind of performance with or you are there kind of experience with someone who isn't even the title character. Totally. Like, it's just totally. you know, like this weird outsider sadness. Yeah. And I remember watching it too and I was like, I mean, Anne Hathaway was great, but she for me wasn't even the best part of that film. And that was what I found so interesting is that I was like, here's the pivotal character, you know, that we're, we're following through this journey. And I was m- most of the time looking around at the other characters to yeah. see what they were doing and to, which is also refreshing in its own right because, you know, most films are like, you cannot take your eyes off this person. This is your main character. This is your protagonist. Do not look away. Right. Right. Yeah. Whereas this movie gave, gave you, you're allowed to, you're allowed to look around and see what's going on. And the actors were just like, everyone was so perfectly cast. The father was like Bill Irwin. Yeah. I just was like, you can't not look at him because his whole, he just shows his emotions on his face the whole film. And I think the actors had so much freedom in that sense, as far as I could tell from watching it. Uh, certainly the sense that I've got researching and, and just basically re-immersing myself in it. Um, I, I mean, I talked to Demi for the Neil Young, the last Neil Young documentary he did, Trunk Show. Mm-hmm. So that would have been a couple of tips later, 2010 yeah. or 2011. And and we talked about, we talked a little bit because we didn't have a lot of time, but you know, where do you even start with him? Uh, but we talked about the his perspective on this was that he'd been remaking other people's work. He'd been making it his own, but he did, you know, like Truth About Charlie is Charade, and he did um, The Ranchurian Candidate, mm-hmm. which I was just arguing to somebody yesterday, is, or the day before, that is a really overlooked film. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, distinctly Demi, but also the material. Yeah. And, and he decided, I think his perspective, his, his perspective, I think his decision in making this was that he just wanted to make a movie like he used to make one, yeah. without a net, with a bunch of people whose creativity inspires him and who he just wanted to place in a room together. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, the seven or eight movies he's made when he's simply concentrating on character, and I'd even include The Science of the Lambs in that, mm-hmm. it just becomes so pleasurable. Yeah, there's a magic to it. Yeah. Yeah. And 
you can tell that he he like as you know the wedding guests and the people that are doing the music and everything. You can tell that he just called up all the people that he wanted to hang out with for yeah. the week and and said, "I'm doing a wedding movie. Can you be guests at the wedding?" Yeah, you know, and you can tell because it's just. You know, besides the the like gut wrenching emotionality of it and stuff, it's really like a joyful, amazing. Like I want to go to that wedding. I want to. I want to have that. I didn't want to get married, and I want to have that wedding. You know. But it's just uh, the relationships between uh, between all the family members are so true. Like I just found them so truthful, so real. Like the sisters, how you can hate someone so much at one moment and then but you can't help but love them the next and it's like a lot of films don't really I don't find it's it's too on the nose it's like okay this is how these people feel about each other and there's no gray area and it's like this movie was like all gray area yeah and I think again you know like you have an actor and and the child of a filmmaker yeah Jenny Lumet writing mm-hmm. this from a perspective of wanting to avoid all of those cliches yeah. um I mean I can't count I, I don't even want to think about the number of times I've heard people in movies say i'm your brother i'm your sister yeah. you know, i've known you my we've known each other our whole lives why are we fighting yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 or my favorite new one which is in every episode of everything on television and in most movies is you said so yourself when you need to repeat something back to someone totally. just people yeah. don't say that no. they don't say it in that sort of fashion and they don't it's it's yeah it's narrative insistence yeah. it's exposition yeah. it's someone yeah. saying we need to make this clear yeah it's it's treating your audience like they're stupid essentially like you need to have it, all this information so you can make an informed decision about no throw that out the window which yeah. is why this is like he did he was like you you guess you guess yeah <laughs> we don't need to know exactly how everyone else is no. connected the, no. the idea is if you're in, and and of course part of the fun is discovering that people do have connections yeah. that we don't understand yeah and and don't and aren't aware of. Uh, and for me, the last time I watched it, which was a couple of years ago, uh, was watching the way that Kim, that Hathaway's character, prods those relationships between people that she's not involved in. Yeah. Or she insinuates herself into conversations or tries to get away from people and bumps into other people. Yeah. She's like a like a toxic pinball yep. in this totally. space. Totally. And the first time I watched it, I was like, I hate her. I, like, I'm so mad at her. <laughs> right? Which for, you're supposed for to. For so think, much yeah. of the film. But then, I mean, I've seen it like eight times now because it's just my go-to whenever I'm like, when do I want to? Oh, <laughs> Rachel getting married. Um, and, and I have to watch it alone now because I refuse to watch it with anyone else. Okay. For whatever reason, this is like my solo time movie. Okay. Because I feel like you know, I can st- sense the, like, discomfort in someone when they're sitting beside me with, the, you know, how long the speeches go yeah, or the, yeah, yeah. the just the length of, like, the wedding scene itself. And I can I can sense the, like, shifting of... I'm like, no, go... I, let me watch this by myself then. Go away. You really? don't get it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, yeah. I kind of delight in watching movies I know really well with people who've never seen them before. Yeah. Uh, because it's so much more interesting to me to watch how a movie works too. a person. Yeah. But, yeah, I can sort of see that. And this one, I have to say, it's always shorter than I remember. I, I remember it as being, like, 125 or 135 yeah. minutes, and it's under two. Yeah. And every time I put it in and think, oh, that's okay. Yeah. And nothing's missing. Nope. Like, that's the movie. No. Nope. But it's it totally. just breathes in a way that most films don't. Yeah. And, and Demi, again, like, this guy who's been making movies for, I guess by that point it would have been 35 years, mm-hmm. just has the confidence to make his movie. Yeah. And I, I also thought... When I first watched it, I was like, there must be a lot of... I just assumed there was a lot of improv, and there was a lot of... And then I watched an interview with him and Jenny Lumet, and um, she was like, no, it was pretty much the script. Yeah. That was what I wrote, you know, with the... 
there was a couple of the speeches I think that were improv and a couple times that he let the actors kind of just go when he could tell that it wasn't flowing but for the most part it was all scripted and that's for me because I've done a couple improv movies and, mm-hmm. and trying to find that rhythm that cadence is in your voice and the you know when it's stri- strictly scripted it's yeah. so difficult and so that that's when I was like wow those actors really like took those words and he gave them the freedom to like he you know a lot of the stuff is kind of one take with the camera finding yeah. little moments and he, you know he'd do one take and say well that was what do we need I don't know if we really need anything else there yeah you it's know? it's kind of a counterpoint to the way Robert Altman used to work which was mm-hmm. that he wouldn't tell the actors where they were in a shot and right. everybody had to be on all the time and he mic'd everybody individually that was this whole big innovation that he came up with in the 70s the mm-hmm. individual mics were mm-hmm. mash and so people were just always going but you get this background buzz of noise in his films that isn't happening here because yeah I think this one the pinball analogy right like it's all moving parts Mm -hmm. but everything has to be accounted for all the Mm -hmm. time everybody needs to know what's going on you can't I guess if you improvise with a movie like this you risk revealing something you shouldn't reveal yeah or telegraphing or even having an actor just come up with something that's well that time I lost my thumb it's like oh okay now we have to work that in that's so true because it was it was so tightly the story was so tightly wound um that yeah you're right to the point that we don't really know I mean, we know a lot of things yeah. by the end of the film. We know yeah. everybody pretty well. Yeah. But we don't really know why Deborah Winger's character is the way she is. Mm-hmm. And you can guess and you can make decisions mm-hmm. about her while you're watching mm-hmm. it. But it withholds. Like, the movie is actively refusing to tell you why some people are the way they are. Yeah. We know why Kim is. Yeah. But we don't know why her mother is. Yeah. And that's... like. That makes me watch her even more closely, oh, and the two of them together, especially. Deborah Winger in that movie is just like she walks on screen, and it, you're like, that is every person that I know that's ever been somewhere that they really don't want to be in. It's just yeah. like carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, but is just trying to get through it. Yeah. And her fa- like every <laughs> time she's on screen, you're just like, oh god, that poor woman. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like the color temperature. Of the film drops by five yeah. degrees when she totally, shows totally. And it's not like, and it is, it doesn't. It's just an effect of her performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. There yeah. and there are ways that you could, you know, a less confident filmmaker, a less uh, skilled filmmaker would have found other ways to make sure we get it mm-hmm. but it's just like no let's just hold on her face for two seconds longer than we need to and yeah. it all comes through until the smile disappears when everyone else turns away and the smile disappears yeah. or the, you know the facade goes down yeah another thing that I loved about it was um, how, how the music was always in the film mm. like it was you know you'd turn a corner and there was the band and, and I remember um, reading that he had kind of said, instead of scoring the film after it's done, let's score it while we make it. Yeah. And well, I mean, he does so much stuff with music too, right? Oh, Jonathan yeah. Demme, so that's film. not, yeah. So that's not surprising, but he was, and so let's see how the music changes the performances of the actors. Let's let that dictate the performances rather than letting the performance dictate the score afterwards. Let's do it all at the same time. And I was like, that's so interesting yeah. because music is, you know, it changes the room. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. I think that must be what he meant by talking about working without a net because you can't take that back. Like mm-hmm. you can't suddenly change the score or replace the you know, the fingering won't match or the the voices or mm-hmm. the, sh- the shifting of the bodies won't make sense. And at the same time you're basically guaranteeing that all your dialogue can't be ADR. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, you just totally. you're locking the world you're in. You're screwed. <laughs> um, you know, and you can always tell in in the big budget stuff where people are miming to the yeah. thing that the yeah. rhythms aren't quite right. Yeah. 
Uh, but with this, it's like there's no question. Even the, like the end credit scene is all about people just farting around on instruments, yeah. and it shows us who they are. Yeah, and yeah. How it works. Yeah, and there's a scene where Anne Hathaway's Kim says she's. It's an emotional scene, and she turns to the band and like, "Are you gonna play all? Like, are they gonna play all night?" Yeah. And someone tells them to kind of give it a rest and stuff. And that was because Anne Hathaway was like, "I can't focus with the music <laughs> going on," and Jonathan Demme was like, "Well, then tell them to stop." Yeah. God damn it. I know. He's so good at this stuff. I, mean, I, I was, know. I, I think about Something Wild is the one I always fall back on. That was the first movie of his that I understood who Jonathan, yeah. like who Jonathan Demme is. Yeah. Um, because it's so joyful and bouncy and yeah. people are getting punched in the face and murdered and it's still happy. Yeah. Like you can't, you go in and out on yeah. Wild Thing and David Byrne and it's just too pleasurable mm-hmm. to really be unsettling and then everyone said oh there's this moment where the lights go down and the movie's suddenly darker it's like yeah he literally told us this is where it gets darker and we still were like okay what do you got yeah i'm still happy show me more i know and then he kind of he's one of those filmmakers who got i think he legitimately got seduced by hollywood by the idea because he could go off and make his documentaries and music stuff but he always came back to do big films that aren't as satisfying as his little films and it took him like a good maybe 10 years in the desert to come back and make Rachel and yeah. figure out what he's like what not what he's best at but what he most loves yeah because he's good at everything yeah and I mean you can tell like with this movie you're like this is a labor of love there's no question about the fact that whoever made this film loved making it you can yeah. just tell by by the camera movements and by the poetry of all the, the, you know, the movement and everything that he just, I, I, I would imagine, I wish this was video right now so you could see my face, but I would imagine he was sitting behind the camera just like, <gasps> like a little kid, right? Yeah. Because the movie feels like a little kid is making it like, okay, let's point the camera. Okay. Okay. Now go. You know, he's telling Declan Quinn, or who I think it was the DOP, like, wait, okay, point, point it here. Okay. Oh no, no. Go, go get that little moment there. Go get, now come back here. You can, you know, I like, would imagine the excitement was like palpable in the. Yeah, he is. He is so good at matching the energies together, like co- collaborative energy yeah. of whatever's happening. That we haven't, like, we haven't even mentioned Rosemary Dewitt by name yet, and which, and she's my favorite. She is. Film. She's phenomenal. I, I mean, the idea too that somehow, despite the fact that it's focus. I mean, I'm looking at the picture yeah. on the cover on the cover of yeah. the Blu-ray, and you cannot make out her face. No, she's she's deliberately obscured. She and Bill Ruin are both obscured, mm-hmm. clouded. Uh, because that's the message they want to send, which mm-hmm. is absolutely brilliant, because that is the movie. Mm-hmm. But that Rachel does become the central character, because yeah. how can she not? Yeah. Because it's her wedding day, but also because she actually deserves it. Like, the more time we spend in the world, the more our focus... Not our focus, our sympathies always stay with Kim, I think, because Hathaway's so good at showing us how hurt she is. Yeah. But you kind of start to relate to Kim the way you would at that wedding, which is like, could you just let your sister be happy? Give it a rest. Let it happen. Yeah. yeah. And Rosemary DeWitt is the more interesting character of the two. Oh, yeah. I would think, for the, for that exact reason, mm-hmm. because you're like, well, she's dealing with so much, and she's, you know, she's making concessions at the beginning, and then she's like, no, why, are you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know? Baggage and happiness yeah. is a way more interesting thing, I think, for an actor to play than oh. baggage and baggage. Oh, yeah, totally. Not that Hathaway doesn't do a great job, because she does, and I... I, I kind of want to get into the backlash thing that keeps happening to Anne Hathaway, which I don't fully understand. Yeah. Well, that every time she does something really great, there is this weird wave of kind of 
fan hatred? I don't mm. understand what it is. I mean, I get that you can argue against Les Mis yeah. winning her the Oscar, yeah. even though when I saw that performance, that single take performance yeah. of that song, it's just like, oh yeah, she's going to win that because yeah. because she's great and it's a great performance. The movie I found almost unwatchable, mm-hmm. but. I'm not faulting her and I'm not faulting Jackman. Those two gave terrific performances and and I'm fine with her winning the Oscar for it. Um, It's like, it's like the reverse Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. DiCaprio makes movie after movie that clearly is pointed towards showing you how great Leonardo DiCaprio is as an actor, as a character, even when he's playing a bad guy, he's a bad guy with a heart. Um, And I, you know, you, as an actor, I'm sure he chooses the roles that frame him this way because subconsciously or consciously, that's what he wants to do. Yeah. And Hathaway has taken a really interesting range of work. Stuff like Love and Other Drugs, yeah. uh, stuff like this, um, even Passengers, which is not a good movie, but she's really good in it. Yeah. And people kind of shit on her for it all the time. For some reason, she's really easy to, to shit on. Yeah, I don't know I don't, what it is either. I don't get that. She was, maybe it's just because she was instantly naturally charismatic in The Princess Diaries and people kind of hold it against the pretty girl The Disney princess? Or something. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. But it's funny because when I when I first watched this, I was like, ah, she wasn't my favorite part of the movie. You right. know? And I, dis- and I did the same thing. I kind of dismissed her from, from the whole package and, and okay. you know, thought about what else I loved. Rather than focusing on her performance, and then you know, as I've gone back and watched it time and time again, no, I'm like, no, she's fucking great. (laughs) She's great in this film. She's really, really great. But I did the same thing at the beginning because everyone else around her was also so strong, and I think, I don't know, maybe we're just used to seeing her kind of like helm the movie, and 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 with this one, I was like, no, let's, I'm gonna focus on other people instead of her. Well, her neediness in the film, like Kim's neediness, Mm -hmm. is off-putting. Yeah, uh, because she, and maybe that's it. Maybe that psychologically just didn't read with people or did read with people and thought, oh, Anne Hathaway wants me to look at her. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, Kim wants you to look at her. Anne yeah. Hathaway is playing that yeah. really, really well. Yeah. Because it's not a performance that's showy. No. Um, I mean, I think about, just in terms of, of comparing uh, needy wedding characters, I mean, there's there's Bombax and Margot at the Wedding yeah. where Nicole Kidman plays the opposite of Kim, yeah. who is the quiet shark destroying yeah. her sister's yeah. happiness. Yeah. Uh, but she's also so committed to the role that I never for a second think, oh, Nicole Kidman is showing off with her acting. No, she's terrifying. Like, she's playing someone who's a, a monster. Uh, and Kim is the same. Like, Kim is someone who is out of control, but yeah. it's performed in such a way that I don't see Anne Hathaway saying, look how great I am at playing this. I just see a performance. I totally. see a character. Um, I mean, there are lots of actors that I look at and occasionally will see a character yeah and sometimes i'll see jared leto showing me yeah. how jared leto he is today. yeah or like look how good i can act right? yeah yeah look let how hard i'm you. trying look look how, at... let me show you how hard i'm acting bison liver yeah you know? and, yeah and, and, oh god nothing against dicaprio don't get me started <laughs> yeah maybe a little against dicaprio <laughs> i think we probably i can tell already we have the same opinion on this well this episode is actually going to follow the revenant episode oh is so, it awkward but uh super awkward yeah uh i have like i i understand why I understand why DiCaprio fully commits. I yep. understand why he's doing what he's doing. The movie will not let me forget how hard it is for him exactly. to be doing this. And how hard it was for Inner to make the film, which is horseshit. Yeah. Because, you know, you still have a crew and you still have yeah. catering and, yeah. you know, you could get artisanal bison liver. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But, but, but a movie <laughs> like this... Here's your organic bison I'm liver, sure Mr. Is, DiCaprio. Uh, the finest, you know. <laughs> and, and then you... But then you just... You know, nobody in 2008, when this came out, nobody was running around telling people how Anne Hathaway ruined herself. She just did it. 
And she was unwilling, I think, or she generally is unwilling. I mean, when, when she played Fantine in Les Mis, there was mm-hmm. a big deal about how she cut her hair and how they cut, how they filmed <clears throat> that, which is directorial sadism, not the actor. Like you, you, obviously she agreed contractually, this is going to happen yeah. at this time, at this date. And it's fine. It works for the character, certainly. It's what happens. Mm-hmm. But you can also fake that stuff. You don't have to go through with it. No, and that's and then and then it takes the focus away from the film, and that that becomes why people go see the film, or that becomes what they're ta- the talking point around the performance or whatever it yeah, is. And yeah, that yeah. it kind of discredits the whole performance, right? Yeah, or yeah. it cheapens the product. Anyway, cheapens, certainly yeah. the end product. I mean, I'm, no, I, no one was walking around saying, "Well, you know, Anne Hathaway did coke." <laughs> Just, just to find out what it felt like. Totally. The way, like, well, Leo couldn't get Coilus, but he was trying some other stuff. Like, you know, just act. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Just go out and be this person. That's, yeah. your, that's your job, and ideally why you're there is because you want to disappear. Yeah. You want to play this character. I mean, I'm, 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 you are an actual actress, and I'm monologuing you about this. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but do you ever feel that it's necessary to either debase or destroy yourself in order to understand that? <sighs> It's like the it's like the argument that happens over and over with actors, right? It's like, well, if you if you want to know how it feels to be on this drug, then you have to do that drug. If you want to know how it feels to be homeless, then you have to be homeless. If you want to know how it feels to be, you know, want to kill yourself, then you have to, you know, put yourself through depression for. And it's, I don't find your darkness. Find right? your darkness, and you know, tap into and be miserable. You got to be miserable for six months if you're going to pull this off. I think I don't think so. I mean, I do I do understand that everyone's different and everyone's process is very different. I personally don't feel that I need to, you know, cut myself off from my family, my friends, and hide myself in a dark basement for six months to then play somebody who, you know, is right. depressed or is antisocial. Or, um, I think that the beauty of being an actor is that we have those emotions that we can tap into without needing to go to those places where we're like, you know, it's like this, they say the same with writers, you have to be tortured to be, or a poet, or you have to be, you know? Yeah. Do no. you? Just drunk. I don't know. I don't know. Like, you can't be in a happy relationship if you're going to be a true artist. Right. Like, God forbid you be in, like, a happy marriage or have, like, a, you know, yeah. have balance in your life if you're going to be a true artist. Like, forget it. But I, you look at, you know, I, and I, I always offer up David Lynch's this argument because he got into therapy and his movies got less interesting. Right? Like, they just yeah. stopped being yeah. as vital. Yeah. Uh, and his formal tricks are still cool and I enjoy what he does, but I don't, I don't love it as much as I used to. So there's an argument for the other side. Yeah. Yep. You need your... I get that you need your demons. Yeah. Or that you need to understand who you are and what your process is. I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the idea of just destroying yourself for a role or, or a concept or... I mean, I, the method is great because mm-hmm. the concept of pulling emotions out of yourself and relating to your character is great. But yeah. You, you know, it's... And, again, I just did this in the in the Revenant episode, but you know, there's that story about Hoffman showing up on Marathon Man and Olivia saying, you know, you stayed up for two days, just try acting. It's so much easier. <laughs> totally, it's so much easier totally, on everyone. Totally. Uh, but that's what this is, because I don't think Demi would stand for anybody showing no. up in a bad shape. No, I, mean, I don't think would, so. He wants people to be happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, on his shoots. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's... It would really surprise me, I'll put it that way, if anybody on this set had been doing anything other than just, you know, having coffee in the morning and coming in and just doing the job. Yeah, I totally agree. I and, totally agree. And he's assembled a cast that is so full of life, even in the darkest moments. Uh, like Bill Irwin, who, again, if you want someone to convey all this awful emotion on his face, you cast a mime. It's brilliant. Like, he just radiates yeah, it physically. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. And even I, I, I was stunned to see Sebastian Stan at the beginning of the movie as, as the most obnoxious of the of the rehab characters. <laughs> that's that's Bucky from the Captain America movies now. Like I didn't even do, I wouldn't yeah, put that together. I almost didn't recognize no. it. His hair is different and yeah. his face is a little yeah. puffier. Yeah. But it's like he's about to be in the Civil War movie that's oh, coming out in wow. a couple of weeks, and holy shit, he's in Rachel Getting Married. Yeah. And if that gets people to see this movie, you know, good I, good for them. Lucky them. There's a gallery that Buzzfeed hasn't done yet. You know, like totally favorite Marvel heroes before. Before and after, yeah. Mm. I mean, the ca- the casting for me was just so great, and I think um, he, he had got his, the casting director to bring in. He just said, "Bring me like five of your favorite people ever for each of these roles. I don't care where they come from. I, ha- I don't have to have seen them before. Like you know, Rosemary Dewitt. I don't think had done much film she, before that. Yeah, she'd, she'd done, done a lot Mad of theater. Men, but I don't think anyone had seen it yet. <clears throat> no, and she'd done a ton of. And she was a theater actress. And same with you know a lot of these actors. They were like, we just want people. She's, he was like, I want people that I'm gonna like. You know, so get me your best. It doesn't matter what what they've done or who they are. Or just bring them to me. Yeah, it is a it's an incredible cast it too of, of people who just yeah. are, look like humans. You know, like there are yeah. there are no actorly nobody starved. Nobody. I mean, Kim looks like crap, but mm-hmm. she's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's like nobody's been jogging that day. No. Everybody looks healthy, but human. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the fa- just like the most beautiful faces, you can gather a room of the most beautiful faces, and not and not traditionally beautiful, like you're saying, just like people that you can't take your eyes off of because they're so interesting, and their eye just their eyes, you're like, oh, this is, like I said, I want to be in this, I want to be at that house, you know, mm-hmm. even with the horrible past and the sadness and everyone's demons, like I still want to be there, I'd still totally be there eating the sandwich that Bill Irwin. Made for me, you know. <laughs> yeah, it does look like ultimately, other than that one bad moment, it looks like a pretty good wedding. Yeah, I think it looks like yeah. a pretty fun day. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and compared to things like Altman's a wedding or Margot at the wedding, or I know I'm missing one really big one, huge wedding movie. This feels like we could be done with them. Like this feels like the one that just yeah gets it over with. Yeah, this is the movie that. When you think about a wedding movie, this is the one that hopefully yeah. people will think of. Unless, yeah. you know, someone can always reinvent it and come up with something else. But it does feel like there doesn't need to be another one of these. No, and there and, and there has been so many. It's such a tr- tried story now, you know. It's it's like, the, I, I mean, my film was, <laughs> was about someone's sister getting married. And there was a big wedding scene and, you know, there's the black sheep and the, you know. Mm. And even now, I'm like five years later, I'm like, yeah, that's done. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> A little tropey. Yeah, yeah. But this one came along and, and it kind of gave you hope, like, oh, okay, there's still you can still find new ways to tell old stories. Cool. Yeah. Great. And it, it doesn't feel like the work of a guy in, in his... He must have been in the 60s by then. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that can't be right. Late 50s. But but it doesn't feel like the work of an older filmmaker. No. It doesn't feel like no. Jonathan Demme, Oscar-winning Hollywood legend who everyone loves and, mm-hmm. and just can do anything at any time. It mm-hmm. feels like a younger angrier stranger energy is at work um but it's not no angry is the wrong word because it's not an angry movie it's a movie about ultimately it's a movie about compassion uh but it's about so many swirling family tensions that you know you get flashes of anger but but they're all kind of deserved like everybody is right to be angry you couldn't you can't yeah, you can't just wash it away. Like the, the movie is about learning to live with the stuff that you've done, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being forgiven, which I think is really 
rare in yeah. cinema. Yeah. I mean, certainly American cinema. We yeah. like bows on things. I was like just going to say it. Tied up. I was just going to say because it doesn't wrap it and put a pretty bow on it. I was just going to say that. That's exactly what. And the, the funniest thing about that is that whenever I watch this movie, I can never remember the ending. <laughs> I've literally seen it like eight times, I think. Yeah. And every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, how does this end again? I can't even remember. Like, where does it stop? Until I get to the end, and I'm like, oh, yeah, just kind of stops. Yeah. Right. That's why I can never remember how it ends. Yeah. It, never. It trails off, but it trails off in a really satisfying way. Yeah. Like, you don't yeah. feel abandoned. No. Uh, no. I just this morning saw Whit Stillman's new film, Love and Friendship, mm-hmm. and it just stops. And it's it's where the story ends, and it's fine, but it ends almost abruptly. And... I realized it's like oh, I've been enjoying these people. I don't want to. I don't want to leave just yet. I've been in this world, and it's one that I never get to see. It's mm-hmm. a Jane Austen adaptation. Everybody's in this ridiculous fancy clothes, and you get to watch them be snippy with each other and and sly and funny. And when it's over, it's just like ah, it's ninety two minutes. That's not fair, right? And this one, even though I remember it as being longer than it is, when it ends, it's just like yeah, it's time to leave. That's yeah. that's how weddings go. Yeah. You just drift off. Yeah, and yeah. you don't know when people will see each other again and I think that's part of this is that the sisters may go a long time without speaking we might not see Rachel and Kim together if, yeah you know I, I sort of imagine where they're going because that's how close I feel to them by the end of the film I'm already invested but absolutely it's kind of okay if they take a break from each other yeah yeah it is it is and I mean the the, the best part of the film too is like just how everything's so seamlessly woven together um like the whole, the fact that it's like this big, beautiful interracial wedding, you yeah. know, and with all the like colors and, and it's just like, it's not even mentioned. It's not even a thing. It's not about that. It's yeah. just about people. I was trying to figure out how to introduce that in the conversation. It just like, do we even bother pointing out? But that's the, what I mean. You don't even bother. between the two interracial yeah. couples that are being formed in yeah. the course of the movie and yeah. how the first one, the, the established couple, I mean... It's not a spoiler or anything. So no, many people no. have seen this, but the the Rachel and Kim's dad has remarried to uh, to an African American yeah. woman, and it's never commented nope. upon. It's not an issue. No, nope. but it also kind of echoes really beautifully in yeah. the sense that that marriage was something that he desperately needed. Yeah, and so Rachel might be chasing the same thing yeah. in the relationship that she's started. Yeah, but it's just there. Yeah. It's never commented upon. And, no. it, you know, a lesser film, again, Kim would have said that. She would have blurted it out Absolutely. during her speech and, and ruined that even further. Exactly. But this way, it's just yeah. floating. It's just, yeah. And there's other things, too, that I find that are kind of not, not dwelled upon throughout the film, you know, when she sleeps with the best man. Yeah. And then for the entire length of the rest of the film until the very end, they have a, you know, a moment before she goes, but it's not even mentioned again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not... That's the thing, is that at no time are we being, like, bashed over the head with, like, this is how you're supposed to feel. This is the storyline. Did you did you see that? Did yeah. you see that? You know? Yeah, like, yeah. there's no pointedness. There's no telling us where we need to... It's like, we find our moments in it when, yeah. when we want to and how we want to. And also, you, as soon as you say that, I remembered that, of course, that was one of the things that I really appreciated was that they immediately see each other again. It doesn't take till the third act. No. They are instantly... Yeah in the same space yeah. again mm-hmm. and hold and because of the whole AA thing they're <clears throat> weak understand as the audience why they're obliged to keep quiet about it yeah. but it's not like it's it vacillates while you watch them interact just by them just by the way they stand together mm-hmm. between is it like shame and respect yeah that there's no yeah. answer it's yeah. just however they're feeling in the moment yeah. and because 
of the AA thing, we understand maybe a little better why they would find solace in yeah. each other and why they wouldn't talk about it and yeah. where it goes. And yeah, just, you know, again, Kim has to move yeah. out of focus in order to yeah. do whatever it is she's going to do next yeah. at the end of the film. And I would imagine for, as a screenwriter for, for Jenny Lumet, if she had, you know, submitted it for notes or if she had cared what anyone else thought about sure. her script... The first thing people probably would have said, you know, the, the Hollywood people would have torn it apart and said, okay, well, this storyline doesn't go anywhere. This, how come they don't, you know, make out again in the middle of the film? Or how, like, why is there no conflict there between right. the two people that have had sex? Yeah. First of all, we need, you know, we need that. We need this, the father and the mother to have more of a, you know, why are they, they seem to be on good terms. That's not, let's have more, yeah. you know. No more conflict. You more, said it yourself. There was, we, we was just a fling. Yeah. 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 Why isn't there more conflict here? Why isn't there, you know, why aren't you kind of reiterating this point? And that's the beauty of the writing too you know i'd love to read the script i've never got my hands on the actual screenplay but i'd love to read it to see how it translates into the film because uh, you know like they said it was pretty true to script which is just lends to like it's beautiful it's beautiful that those are not things that are that need to be worked into it yeah it's all just there yeah like it's there in the yep. actor's backstory yeah they're breathing it. They're living it. It's yeah. it's like an immersion in in this world that we, mm-hmm. we you know we were in it and then we we get left behind. Like mm-hmm. we aren't even pushed out. The yeah. movie leaves us. Yeah. Like it goes away yeah. at the end. And we don't get the answers that we want any at any point during the movie. You know, which I love because it's like okay, but what about no? Nope, forget it. We're, we've moved on from that, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, it's a what's the term? It's like watching. It's a terrarium. Yeah, it's like watching these things happen. Or yeah. sea monkeys or something. Yeah, yeah. And figuring out what they're gonna do next. <laughs> Uh, so, um, we've sort of touched on it already, but, but what have you borrowed or stolen or lifted? You know, like, has there been anything from this film's DNA that you've incorporated into your own? Yeah. <laughs> Big <laughs> time. Up. Big time, yes. I was working on my, my film that I did a few years ago when I saw this. I think I was in the really early sort of like scripting in my head stages. Um, but I had, it was a wedding film. Yeah. funnily enough and I and it was about two sisters very different but still you know that that old thing and I had had people tell me like you can't it's been done you can't do it I'm like oh it's fine I'm gonna do it anyway and then I saw this and I was like oh no <laughs> and then I just said you know what it doesn't matter it's my first film it's you know it's an experiment for me anyway I'm, I'm just gonna make it the way I want to make it and I um you know I had a big wedding scene in it and so I would go back and watch this and be like how do I without blatantly ripping off this film how do i take the things that i find so magical and you know incorporate them into this was a big this was a big inspiration for me yeah well it's it's good that it can do that Mm -hmm. that you know you don't come away from it thinking i want to do that thing that one thing that i saw in this movie and just you know i can imagine people coming out actors specifically coming Mm -hmm. out of this and saying oh i want to do exactly what anne hathaway does as kim i want to do that performance like no you want to be inspired by it you want to you want to take it and do something new. Mm-hmm. And I think Demi would be, I mean, I know Demi would be happy that he's inspiring people because that was his whole thing. He was, you know, mentoring people left and right in the 70s and 80s and yeah. just finding new ways to work with people and, yeah. and nudging them into... Uh, I would imagine as an actor, it must be just like such a gift to work with him because you can just tell that he, he he's not breathing over your neck, you know, telling you yeah, how to... Yeah play your character telling you how to read your lines or and, and he just kind of gives everyone he like steps out of it and especially in this film just gives everyone like, go do your thing yeah I don't think you could get this movie out of people who don't trust you no you don't know that you trust them no absolutely yeah yeah and that's what I, I mean that's what I meant when I say it's a film that makes me want to make films 
you know, because as, as an actor, especially in Canada, you, yeah, there's a lot of doozies, you know, you have to sift through a lot of shit sometimes and you do some things that don't necessarily creatively feed you, um, which is why it's so important to, to keep going back to the things that you watch that have inspired you in the beginning. Sure. Because then I'm like, okay, this is why I wanted to do this. This is the kind of movies I want to make. These are the kind of scripts I want to write. This is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so, there's, there's so much opportunity now because the cost of production has gone so, yeah. has gotten so reasonable. <clears throat> and distribution is, I just, like, tomorrow is National Canadian Film Day. Yeah. I was just writing about the fact that two weeks ago, there were four Canadian filmmakers who had movies open at the same on the same day on April eighth, and yeah. three of them were actual Canadian productions. It was Borealis and Across the Line and Sleeping Giant. Mm-hmm. And then Jean Marc Vallée released Demolition the same day. They all came out, and they were right. all good. And yeah. it was one of those things where oh, you can actually say without forcing yourself that these are worthy. Like there's this interesting new wave of Canadian cinema happening, and and thank God. It's, <laughs> But right, it is. It's, I'm so happy to be in this moment to be uh, able to do this because, yeah. you know, um, Andrew Cividino with Sleeping Giant, we, we talked about it in his episode almost like last September we recorded it. And it was bizarre to realize that there is a new wave happening and that you're in the middle of it rather yeah. than turning around and going, oh, well, this is, you know, like in the late 80s when suddenly our lighting packages got sophisticated enough that directors could do stuff with them. Mm-hmm. And you got Rosma and Egoyan and Cronenberg and, and Arcan all doing deliberate visual signatures as well as telling good stories. Yeah. So it suddenly looked like art yeah. as opposed to that weird telefilm thing that was going yeah. on with the film stock. Totally. And now with digital, we've reached the point where you can make a movie almost about anything. Yeah. And it'll work. Yeah. And you have to figure out how. But it's possible to make good work again. Yeah. And there was a lull. I mean, we went without for a while. Yeah, I think there was too. I, mm. I think there was too. I think there's like a, a collective kind of exhale right now. Yeah. Everyone's still really cautious to say, you know, I sure, like, yeah. but I, I feel like there has been like a collective, like, okay, maybe we're, maybe we're getting good <laughs> again. <laughs> maybe we can make things that, you know, well, there's a sense of potentiality in Canadian, yeah. in, in English Canadian cinema. I yeah. think that's the important, that's distinction. a good distinction to make for sure. Cause I mean, you've yeah. got, Quebec cinema has always been yeah. ahead of English yeah. Canada in terms yeah. of distribution and, and profitability and marketability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we've also just seen, you know, uh, Villeneuve and Valet and uh, Fallardeau just go out and make movies in the world. Yeah. And, and we're not quite seeing the same thing happen with English Canadian filmmakers at the same speed. But we will, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, stuff like Diamond Tongues last year or um, Sleeping Giant point towards possibility of making really distinctive really interesting films yeah. for no money yeah by people who are committed and actors who respond and and this weird fusion like people casting musicians and people yeah. casting unknown kids yeah. and it's just like a huge net has been thrown out there and, yeah. and it's catching stuff i think people aren't scared anymore to try yeah at least at least you know if it doesn't work okay but at least people are kind of pulling out their socks and being like, well, we should just try. Maybe let's just give it a try again. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's not be scared. So what's the direction you're pointed in? Like, what do you want to... Uh, I've been... Like, the, uh, before the last couple years, I guess, um, I was doing a lot more behind the scenes. Mm. I was doing a lot of producing, and um, I was working with Terry Miles, a Canadian filmmaker. Okay. <clears throat> we worked together for years, and so I've, I've kind of pulled myself away from the behind the scenes in the past couple years. I've refocused um, more on my acting. Um, and I've been doing a lot of photography, so that's kind of my two, the two that have taken front seat okay. now. Um, Did anything motivate the change, or was it just a... No, I think I just tired myself out. Okay. I tired myself out with, with producing independent film. <laughs> that's 
certainly understand. I ran out of favors. <laughs> I couldn't ask anyone for another favor. It was like, oh gosh, yeah, I think no, it's time to take a break. Production is, it's got to be worse than, I mean, yeah. everybody says with directing, you commit two years of your life to one project, yeah. but with producing, you've got to have at least three balls in the air, right? Yeah. And you're always working. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, it really, for me, it was just, I, I, you know, it was creatively fulfilling for a little while, and then when it stopped being creatively fulfilling, I was like, okay, it's time to take a break. And I think that the, uh, I'm, unless it was my own project, I'm still open to obviously getting back in the director, the producer chair. But for now, I'm just gonna gracefully bow out. And yeah. yeah. So I've been doing, I've been refocusing on the acting, and then photography has been something that's come up in the past, I guess, two years or so. I was always that was a hobby, but mm-hmm. it's actually turned into more of a full time job wow. now. So that's been great. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, wedding photos? Are you doing? Uh, I do some. Just yeah. to bring it right back around. Yeah, totally. Have you witnessed totally. the the kind of? I mean, what happens if you're on on site and something bad happens? Like, what's your responsibilities? Because this fascinates me. I've yeah. never been able to talk to anybody yeah. about. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, I've noticed now that because you're there the whole day, and you know, you try and kind of blend into the drapes if you can, but. Yeah. The bride is, like, looking to you all the time to make sure. And if there's meltdown, like, guess who's the first person? Not the maid of honor. Not the... It's... A lot of the time, it's me trying to talk them off the ledge. Because I'm in such an intimate space with them. Sure. And I'm like, don't worry about the flowers. Don't worry about... There's people to do that, you know? It's like, weddings are a beast. Oh, yeah. No, I was... I mean, again, this movie is the... One of the reminders of the worst case scenario you try to avoid. But it also is absolutely believable. I'm sure that's happened to people. Totally. You know, I mean, this is on like a grand scale. It's like an amazing wedding. But at the core of it, it's still a beast. And it's still, you know, people lose their minds. Families break up. (laughs) People go crazy. Oh, it's horrible. It's like for one day. Why? Yeah. Kate and I got married at City Hall. 27 people. It was great. See, brilliant. brilliant. Simple, small. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. The more weddings that I photograph, the more I, I... That's the direction I'm going. It's like, <laughs> let's elope. <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> My thanks to Christine Kofsky, whose new movie, No Men Beyond This Point, opens at the Tiff Bell Lightbox tomorrow, Saturday, April 23rd. It also drops on iTunes this coming Tuesday, April 26th. So, you know, if you're not in town, you can find it there. Thanks also to Pam Stillman. She knows what she did. You can find Christine on Twitter at Christine Ilana, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-I-L-A-N-A, all one word. And you can find Rachel Getting Married on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. And if you're in Canada, you can stream it on Netflix right now. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. And if you want to leave a review on iTunes, for this episode, let's try to work in the phrase tension party. Thanks for listening. Mm